The Guardian. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. This week we give Nicky Wire from the Manics a right good listening to and Pete Perfides gets back in his pop time machine and travels to 1970. Plus music from Coldplay, Kingdom and Kalela and Julia Holter. Harriet Gibson joins us today. Hello, Harriet. Hello. Your first time Hello. on My the debut. Pod. Your debut. Mm-hmm. What is in the news? Well, I mean, we may as well face up. We're recording this on Wednesday morning, and uh, the Mercury nominations are coming out later today. We don't know what they are as yet. What do we think should be nominated for a Mercury Prize this year? Something more exciting than Alt J, hopefully, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, the album last year was not blown away, and I was actually quite surprised at that, so I'm hoping for something more dance-focused, something from Iconica. I think Iconica. that was the great failing of last year's Mercury thing. Not yeah. that I'm particularly waving the flag for dance music or anything like that, but if mm. you look, you know, if you want the Mercury Prize to sort of reflect the culture of, of, of pop music, you know, using pop in the widest sense mm-hmm. of the phrase there, last year's, there wasn't any dance music on the list. Yep, exactly. And this, it was all guitar bands, mm. and this is at a time when, you know, guitar bands, unless they are the monkeys, are basically dying on their ass. Mm. you know. Um, and it just seemed a bit like, you know, when you get those sort of mental editorials in the NME going, there's never been a better time for indie <laughs> guitar rock than 2013. As peace skyrocket into the charts Palm at number violence, 38, you know. Um, <clears throat> Palm of Islets in at 67 with a bullet, you know. Um, so, you know, it felt a bit like that. It felt like a special pleading yes. on behalf, you know, of, 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 sort yeah. of guitar rock. Harriet. What do you think should be on the list? Um, well, although, I mean, I really love King Cruel. Okay. I deeply love him, but mm-hmm. I didn't think his album was incredible, but I would love for his album to be nominated because I he, think he's an artist that could benefit from, like, yeah. a lot of financial backing. I think he's got possibly, like, a really, really important album in him. Oh, okay. I think he's really... For people who aren't aware of the work of King Cruel, how would you describe what he does? Oh, gosh. Well... He's kind of this bohemian 19-year-old kid who's grown up listening to, like, Fella Cutie, although, like, mm-hmm. he's really young. And he is this kind of jazzy, weird, idiosyncratic kind oh, of... Oh, right, OK. I, I don't know, it's, it's kind of quite gritty. He sings with a really deep, gravelly growl, mm-hmm. which is quite strange. But Tom Waits... Um, not really. No. There's elements of electronica on the yeah. album as well, which is really good. He's from South London, so I always think of him as fitting quite well in with people like The Invisible if they had yeah. a bit, if they did a dance record. Maybe. Totally. You know, so it's kind of like weird. He's got a really great ear for production. There's all these, yeah, like you say, kind of African influences and electronic influences, and definitely worth a listen. I think. He, I think he DJs under the name DJ JD Sports as well sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> which is really it's a great name <laughs> for uh, for a DJ. It really is. <laughs> Um, there used to be in the uh, in the mid nineties, the uh, indie band Earl Brutus used to DJ under the name DJ Drug Penis, which is <laughs> absolutely fantastic uh, name for a band. Uh, Kieran, what do you think should be on the? What would you like? What would gladden your heart? I would like to see something uh, that sounds like the club, so something from bangers, Discl- bangers, exactly. No Miley, mm. but um, Iconica or Disclosure or something. I think if Disclosure don't get on the list it look a bit stupid yeah I mean yeah. I mean I don't know if really necessarily to win but I think if it's not you know well, it's been s- an exciting album hasn't it it's been something yeah. that people have been excited for and sometimes the Mercury's to me feels like you know very industry focused in that it's you know for music journalists or it's for people in the industry it's, it was started you know I'd say this every year without fail so apologies to anyone I'm boring by saying this but the Mercury Prize the reason it exists it was started by uh, Virgin Records mm-hmm. as a means of boosting album sales because they used to announce the nominees at the start of the summer and it was meant to boost album sales over the summer because the nominees had been asked people to go and check, check them out right. um, so I mean it's, that's completely what it's there for the notion that it's anything about anything other than selling you know what I mean albums is, is, is errant nonsense uh, but I mean nothing, nothing wrong with that you know yeah, but um, it does mean that there's a, a kind of a sense of corporate banality that surrounds mm, the whole thing. Mm. Like, I think even, you know, 
artists like Ben Howard and Michael Kiwanuka aside, those mm. weren't, to me, they weren't like thrilling albums that I was yeah. like, I'm really gunning for them. Ben really, Howard, yeah. I really want people to listen to this and get excited in yeah. a way that you, we had from Disclosure. You need like a sense of struggle, I think, as well, that I think is really fundamental and mm-hmm. they kind of deserves the money that they get eventually. Because if you just get a band who's kind of recorded an album in a studio, you think, well, you're just going to do the same thing again. Like, it'd be good to get an artist who's really had to strive. I know that's a bit of a corny way to look at it. It all has some sort of interesting story behind them rather than just being a But band. it's just about the music. As they always say, the Mercury Prize, it's just about the music. I always see it as the context around the album, though. I never really yeah, do I'm, I'm treat it. Yeah, I'm certain, certain it is. Um, I would like to see these new Puritans get nominated because mm. I think that album's brilliant. And talking about records that died on their asses, God, I, I mean, you know... It sold nothing, and it's a really, really adventurous, brave, you know, uh, piece of work. I would like to see that do well. Um, I would like to see something like Disclosure. I'd just like to see a bit more representation of dance music in there. I'd like to see Hookworms get nominated, but I sincerely doubt they will, as I don't think they could probably stump up the the requisite amount of money. But is it quite a lot? Like, is it a big sum? £25. Is it? No. No. I don't know all the industry in jokes. We shall see who gets nominated for the Mercury Prize. I'm sure it'll be uh, terribly controversial as ever. Anyway, let us move on. The Manic Street Preachers vowed to go away for two years and reinvent themselves after their big O2 show in 2011 where they played all their singles in order. They've released a lot of singles. Now, they've got two albums in the pipeline, one of which is acoustic and barely features the lead singer at all, and one that is apparently European-inspired. What on earth went on in that two-year gap? The wonderful Nicky Wire came in to explain. I've sealed myself in Laminated all of my skin Sellotaped my world in bits I must embrace paralysis So how have you been anyway? You've been well? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, we've just been up talking. Whenever, whenever you end up talking for three days, you just realise the amount of shit you talk. So it's just we've just been busy. We've been prolific as usual. Yeah, yeah we've non-stop writing and, you know, we've had a real breeze touring around the world. We haven't done any gigs in the UK, mm-hmm. but it has been nice. Yeah. I do find travel more inspiring than, than ever before. Really? And it does really infiltrate the songs, definitely. Why, why do you find it more inspiring than you used to? I just think the kind of overarching cultural power of certain areas of the UK kind of makes the rest of it get lost. What do you mean? Well, Give us an example. There's so much power centred in London, and then mm. you travel the world and you realise a lot of capital cities are just not the right. biggest cities. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whether it's uh, whether it's Turkey, whether it's Australia. Obviously, you used to be born in West Germany. I always think it's a good idea that capital cities shouldn't be the the main the main sort of cultural yes, centre I think the politics should be moved out you've just been in uh, well not just earlier you went to New Zealand for the yeah, first time how was that I absolutely adored the place really yeah why what was so great about it I actually felt a real sense of freedom there really yeah of just a, a new world optimism <laughs> really <laughs> yeah. that's brilliant with a real kind of sullen kind of realistic melancholia as well that, so you know, what, like that, a Welsh that, kind know, of melancholy? Yeah, or? and the kind of thing that, you know, over the water, they've got the sun and the money, but, you know, right. we, you know we got the All Blacks. So, <laughs> you know. well, you, it, was to, it was to coincide, wasn't it? Yeah, it, was we, it was deliberately to coincide with the rugby. Yeah, the Lions too was amazing. It was just one of those trips that... You're very passionate. I, the time Dreadful. I realised it was you on Twitter, there was you behind... I was at work one Saturday, and I don't know very much about rugby, and clearly there was some match between Wales and France. Oh and yes! Suddenly, your feed started going, <laughs> and it was like one thing I've known all my life is the French cheat. <laughs> the French are all cheats, and then it went. I'm really glad we never got big in France. Now this is what the album's about. See, <laughs> really? trying to cure myself of this terrible bitterness <laughs> that runs through my blood. Really, it is. There's loads of references on the album. You know, I can't fight this. I, well, the first line: "I don't want my children to grow up like me." Mm-hmm. It's too soul dis- destroying. It's a disease. You know, I don't want them to have this terrible mole that just keeps coming back and pointing things out. I don't want my children to grow up like me. 
It's too soul destroying. It's a mocking disease. A wasting disease. Some days I wake up with love still alive. Go to sleep, but I cannot close my eyes. I cannot close my eyes. I can't fight this war anymore. Time to surrender, time to move on. You're not mellowing with age. You don't find I am getting... really mellowing. Yeah, yeah. I used to be twenty <laughs> times worse than this, and that, that's why on the album I admit that it's just my great downfall. You think it's a downfall, or isn't it? Isn't it what oh, fires it you? No, it's not anymore. It just it curses me because I'll spend the next two days worrying about what I say. <laughs> <laughs> the thought of my, you know, I've always said if there was a thought police, then I'd be, be doing life. I'd be doing a life sentence. <laughs> You know, there'd be no way around it. Um, but I think that's the human... The only thing you have as a human being over everything else is is the control to kind of filter those those terrible kind of misanthropic thoughts and try and navigate a path to goodness. It doesn't seem a very misanthropic album. Yeah, it's not... I'd say Postcards was nostalgic in a sort of uplifting way where it was, come on, let's give it one more. <laughs> the last two are. And luckily enough, it worked on a level, you know, because it's, it's sold well, we toured forever and... It did work. Everything we tried to do worked to a certain extent. But I wouldn't say it's nostalgia. I'd say this is more looking in the mirror and realising we're the grown-ups. And those days, I would love to rewind the film because Mm. it's just been an amazing ride. But I think the album is an admission that we can't. It's not a question of, you know, wanting to correct wrongs or stuff like Mm -hmm. that. I mean, my life is full of regrets, but I don't, it doesn't. I don't want to go back and cherry pick the bad times and correct them. I just think it's just ever since I, you know, came into this fair life with my mum and dad, it's been brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, you 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 made two albums at the same time, mm. or you've been working on two albums at the same time. Yes, and this is the sort of acoustic, you know, remarkably mellow Manic Street Preachers album. It is. Um, lots of horns on it. Lots is... of horns. Amazing amount of words. Which mm. again, it's all adding up to being a stiff, isn't it? You know. <laughs> Too you many words. Every, no, Acoustic not, guitars. <laughs> Nick, as your, as, your, as your career... Every time I meet you, you're like, this is going to... You know, postcards from a young man. Nah, it's not going to work. That was a pleasant surprise, I have to say, yeah, how that worked. But um, there's certain elements in this album which are just not us. You know, the kind of raw emotion, the internalised... In many ways, it's lyrically, it's kind of the holy bible for, for middle age. Oh, what a nice, you know, what a great idea. A kind of considered... Just the idea that you, there's certain things I just cannot do that I, I want to do. I can't jump on stage without dislocating my shoulder or ruining my arthritic knee. <laughs> you know, and that is a track on the album called Run Out of Fantasy, which is this, it's a composition of, of Jan Morris um, reading her book, his, her book, Conundrum, and about the sex change and all that. That idea of the fantasy, well, not the fantasy, she, he, she felt that she was always born a girl. And the fancy of rock and roll. How do we hang on to it? You know, that delusion of um, the seduction of a fading power in a hotel room in the middle of nowhere. You know, it is just such, it's been such an amazing drug for us, mm-hmm. for a band that don't do drugs. <laughs> because it's kind of a myth, that idea, and because it's not real, is, is it harder to hang on to as you get older? Leaving aside the physical side of it, is it harder to hang on to as you get older because you see things more for what they are, because it's more difficult to indulge in a myth when you're in your 40s? Yeah, I think, I think it's just that, that sudden realisation of certain things. When you actually feel a generation gap, I don't think you've... Up until maybe the last year or so, musically I'm talking about, mm. you, we haven't felt the generation gap, but now we just genuinely do. Much as I love... I always consume music and I, you know, I buy... Still buy loads of records every week, but I realise that it's just totally different to everything I was brought up on. What sort of stuff made you realise that? Just seeing some Burke at the front of a stage banging a floor tom on every single band, <laughs> going, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, there's no words, there's no choruses, it's just someone going, oh, oh, do, do. And then the confetti moment. Yeah, 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 you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. It's got the point where the confetti moment comes like after one song now, because everyone wants their rapture so yeah. quickly. Yeah. And I, I'm not even, um, I do think people are missing out on words. I do think mm. there's, you know, there's just a massive lack of words in that sort of music. Mm. 
and the words that you do hear are, are absolutely meaningless. You know, I do feel that having Lydon and Morrissey and McCulloch and all those, you know, that amount of words growing up and Joe Strum undoubtedly just made me a better person. Mm-hmm. So by default, I think they're going to be worse people because they just don't get that, the amount of words. Well, you learn things. I think the thing is that you learn stuff. I learned loads of totally. things through the lyrics of songs. I learned about loads of books. I learned about, yeah. you know, and that's always something the Manics have done as well. You know, yeah. I think I learned more from, from music and TV than I ever did getting a degree. Mm. No, I completely agree. Yeah, I genuinely feel that. And, and that's not even a slight against education. I just, you kind of enjoy your learning through, through music and TV a lot more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, does that generation gap make it harder for you to make music? The, the sense of a generation gap? It does, because, that... as you know, we've always thought the raison d'etre was to sell as many records as possible. Mm-hmm. We've never been shy about that. But you actually have to put parameters in now and realise that you can't. Mm-hmm. You know, I think sort of It's Not War, which was a really glossy, ILR-friendly rock pop song, was the last time probably we'll get that new influx of fans. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about 15-year-olds as such, but just... People on the periphery, you know, who want something more. But I think that's probably, I think that's probably over. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think we've managed to w- walk a really fine line and get away with it. But I don't think we can anymore. And I know that we're not really seen as that kind of serious, tender, sensitive, sort of guardian loving <laughs> kind of band anymore. Or if we ever were, so we're just caught in this hinterland of of nothingness. Come on, perk up, mate. You've got a new album to sell. Jesus, Nick. Well, I know, but, you know, James is barely on the album. No, I, that's really, no, that's really, now that is a really interesting point. There are whole yeah. songs. I mean, your first single, he, he, you know, it's all hauling, which yeah. is, you know, I mean, wonderful man, wonderful vocalist, all that kind yeah. of thing. But it's a fairly remarkable thing to do, to put yes. out a single that hasn't got your lead singer on it until the chorus. There's no electric guitar and there's no James vocal, which two of our ultimate trademarks. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is a band running away from itself, this album, trying to scrabble around to find an angle to reinvent itself. Mm-hmm. Rewind the film again. I'd love to see my joy, my friends. Rewind the film again. So I can fall asleep content. There's a line in Carlito's way where he always says, you know, you always got to have an angle. Mm-hmm. And I've always believed in that. You know, the sister album to this is very European, very uh, based on motion and travel and um, very jagged post-punk mm-hmm. with a bit of European disco. It's very markedly different. But both albums are just not us, which, you know... <laughs> Is that a scary place place to that's be. a good thing, though, isn't it? I mean, you know, or, or, or do, do you sort of, when you say that, there's probably, oh, God, lifeblood. <laughs> well, there is that. That's a good, that's a very good analogy because you, you I, I, we always find it, we just, there's something in us which the, the commercial side of us always wants to communicate to as many people as possible. But it's not, it's not, you, you, you're talking about this album as though it's... I mean, it's, it's got loads of really good tunes on it. I it mean, it's not, it's not an uncommercial record in the sense of... It's not metal machine music, you know what I mean? It's or, 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 you know. No, but to our fans, it might be. You know, having a kind of Welsh indie folk singer sing an entire track with Kate LeBon mm-hmm. and Lucy Rose do the duet. I sing on there. Mm-hmm. There's an instrumental on there. There's one guitar solo yes. on the entire album. But it is, it's, and we are very proud of it, and it is full of tunes, and it's luxurious in its kind of melancholia. And it ends... On a very yes. sort of Manic Street Preachers-ish note. Yes. With a song called 30 Years War, which is a yeah. song about Margaret Thatcher. About Thatcherism. Thatcherism. I'd, I'd say it is about the philosophy because, um, I mean, she was dead to me a long time ago. I didn't, I didn't need to celebrate, uh, you know, her death or anything. It's, you know, our communities had to live through that misery intensely. So, you know, it was, there was no feeling at all in any way, really, for it from me. But... I didn't actually want to give that lyric to James because I just thought, do the, do the, does the world want me banging on about Hillsborough and Orgreave and Thatcherism again? 
Um, but James, I give James a lyric, and he he was generally like so excited and just thought, actually, we haven't done this for a while, mm. really, and um, just felt liberating. And it's definitely a bridge to the next album. There's a hint of oddness to that track, which um, leads to the to the more European sounding record. It's an intriguing lyric because yeah. it's the sort of first obviously you know the woman died uh subsequent to your writing that, that, yeah that track. but um it's the first sort of after her death it's the first it's an incredibly angry song but it's also very intense it's not just sort of oh, it's not scattershot it's got a shot bile i no. mean it, it's kind of a very intelligent angry consideration yeah it of, does of her I, legacy i do try and survey the just our idea of the the amount of cover-ups and scandal we've actually lived through mm. which fair play you know the your paper has done the most amazing job in highlighting, and um, you know that I still, still I, why I love the written word and why I think journalism is so important, genuinely do. And I've tried writing a book and it was fucking awful. <laughs> you know, I love writing songs and little vignettes, but you know, it was just you know I know how hard it is. So what, what, why, why did you find it so difficult? I think there was two elements. One, I physically I just found it really demanding, and just thinking, shall I call one of my mates up and go right it? You know, in the back of your head. <laughs> and two, there was just so much dark stuff in there. I'm thinking, do I really want to relive all of this? And then I thought to myself, what if I don't pray and it's going to be fucking boring? Yeah. You know, you have to put the real nuts and bolts in there to make it worthwhile. And um, so I just, I sort of fizzled out on it, really. But even mm-hmm. when I write an article on something I like, like R.S. Thomas or mm-hmm. cricket or rugby, it takes me fucking so long. Really? But I can write songs so easily. So yeah. anyway, I do think it's, that is really an important facet of our cultural life. But the lyric itself is certainly a, a feeling I don't think any generation below our own actually feels anymore. So I think there is that hint in, of loss in it that... Who's going to care when we're gone? Mm-hmm. Who's well, who's going to care that this happened? Yeah, who's going to give a shit? Mm. You know, is it just going to, you know, who's going to uncover all this stuff? Yeah, I do have a... James is a kind of great believer in people, and I, I'm a, I'm a dis- disbeliever in people, I guess. So you hide That was Alexis talking to Nicky Wire. Rewind the film is out on Monday. It's time for Singles Club. Harriet, let's hear your choice first. Not a band I think we've ever had on Singles Club uh, <laughs> on the Guardian Music Weekly podcast before. Uh, Coldplay, a little-known act called Coldplay, <laughs> making their debut here with a track called At Last, which is off a film soundtrack, isn't it? It's a yeah. one-off film Hunger soundtrack. Games. Hunger Games. Um, and uh, that sounded to me, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, a bit like kind of Coldplay's version of a dubstep drop took place in that song, the way it kind of, when the, the, the rhythm kind of kicked in. Well, yeah, you needn't laugh in such a mocking way, Kira, frankly. <laughs> I love that idea valid. of Chris Martin yeah. <laughs> commanding this crowd with his right. dubstep drop. Well, you could quite obviously command a crowd. <laughs> maybe maybe you couldn't yeah. command a crowd of your snooty mates. Um, <laughs> Harry, anyway, look, you, you brought this in. Yeah. Um, tell us why. Why, do, why. What do you like about it? Why? Why? Well, Why? for starters, I think it sounds almost 
identical to Ordinary World by Duran Duran, which I love. Okay, well, that's as good a reason as any. I've, I've liked records for stupid reasons and that, I'll tell you that more. <laughs> Secondly, um, I, when I was growing up, Coldplay were my favourite band in the world. I know when you were growing cool. up? Yeah. How old are you? <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> 12 no I am um, I'm 27 so when I was about 16 17 they just released their debut album and everyone in the very rural Essex town that I lived in went nuts for it really the yeah. the parachutes right. yeah okay. interesting interesting and and I kind of feel like since they got Brian Eno on board I don't really understand the music they make anymore it's a bit really day glow graffiti stuff and right okay this is this is a fascinating yeah. take on the career of Coldplay I've yeah. never heard anybody go Bloody hell, they've gone all weird. It's like <laughs> the, the baffle is like Captain fucking Beefheart. Um, I'm a purist. Um, but th- this song kind of is the most old school Coldplay. It, it's, it's not complicated. Mm-hmm. It's just got his low burp-like murmuring voice <laughs> and uh, soaring choruses. And um, I like that. Wow. It, it's comforting. That's a really it. interesting thing. And I think it probably has to do with the age at which you discovered Coldplay. Yeah. Because, I, I, you know, I don't think... I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not a... You know, I, I, maybe they are. Maybe the world is filled with people listening to, um, you know, Viva La Vida. What the hell's going on? <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? I, they've managed, they're not a band that has strikes me as having bamboozled their fan base with, you know what I mean, the sort of left turns of their music or anything like that, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah, they bamboozled me. Wow. Totally. That's amazing. I felt like I didn't own them anymore. I was I was I, I was there from the start. I was there when they had the uh, fan club little pamphlet thing that went out to about a thousand people, and then wow. suddenly, suddenly they went massive, and I didn't understand who he was anymore. Going out, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, he stopped walking on the beach and started wearing those weird band yeah. jackets and stuff. Yeah, I hear that. Okay, okay, Karen. Um, yeah, I mean, I I also loved parachutes. Yes, it was wow. my um coming of age with feelings album as well um and um yeah and, and I, I really like on this song where he has that very stripped back horse quality which sounds a lot like horse parachute. quality yeah he's his yeah oh, horse, horse. <laughs> not like you know, you know that, that gentle gallop of his voice um, canter of Coldplay yes um and I don't you know it has that kind of gentle swell and it doesn't have as much impact I don't think as as parachutes in some, uh, I mean, the songs are parachutes for some reason because it just it sounds a bit hollow. Like the last thing was it the last single was um, Paradise, mm. and I think well, it was the, a single from the last album. Oh, sorry, it? it's a single from the last album, and um, that was like catchy and it was like a really big song and it was played, you know, I think in the backdrop to a lot of like the Olympic coverage and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that, which you just wouldn't get with like Yellow, for example. Well, I don't think that would be effective with Yellow anyway. What? Sorry, what this? this I don't think <laughs> so. Just, just parachuted in from Looney Town. It's I, I, true. I, you wouldn't have heard Yellow in the. Back- Yellow by Coldplay. Yeah, you but it's have not in the background. But I mean, like, it's not. It wouldn't. It's been effective. Like, if I'd no, heard no, no, that, no, okay, I'd okay, like, yes, oh. I suppose it's a little like, more downcast. Yeah, like Paradise but, seems um, like it would be used, and it kind of seems like an obvious choice. But what about that one? Uh, Lights will guide you fix home, you, fix you. Fix not you. that there was a period where no event on television, <laughs> be it you know Sparrow's injured wing being mended <laughs> in the hospital, Comic or relief. you know some terrible. Mm. Incident involving, you know, or people, you know, yeah, terrible, but that, I think you know. that's another example of it being used incorrectly, though, isn't it? Like, no, really, <laughs> no, did you like Do you think that that fit well? Yes, I think that's exactly what they wrote that song for, isn't it? But anyway, I hated it. No, I hated it. anyway, so yeah, I mean, I don't think this is like, like their strongest single, and it's a bit kind of lacking for me, but I do like all those kind of foundation qualities like his voice and the gentle swell and all of that stuff That's I good. wonder if, if, if what you're saying is right and if, if Coldplay themselves um, feel that their last two albums, I mean I, I can't see how they would but I mean they, maybe they feel the last two albums are a bit oblique or whatever, I actually really uh, I, I wouldn't say I was a sort of massive Coldplay fan um, but by the same, I'm not one of those people that really hates Coldplay I remember the first time I heard Yellow um when I was about 16 as well. Um, and uh, I remember thinking, not knowing anything about them being centre, the magazine I worked out, and thinking, this is not really my cup of tea, but this is going to be absolutely huge. It's just an incredibly yeah. well-made record. Um, whenever I see Coldplay Live, uh, my sort of object, whatever objections I have to their kind of um, sort of uh, willful emotional button pushing or whatever, their music tend to evaporate. Cause they, are, they are very, very good live band, Coldplay. Yeah. Um, and I really liked... Uh, Viva La Vida, the album. Uh, I gave it a bit of a sniffy review and then ended up kind of things like Strawberry Swing and stuff like that. I thought would be really interesting. Kind of, actually, it's not some sort of, it's not some weird avant garde album, but it's, they've definitely 
moved what they've done enough. Yeah. Well, I always remember being really confused when it was like a huge in joke that they were really boring and crap. And it, like to like Coldplay was really uncool. And yeah. I always found that really strange because I was like, but they're really great, aren't they? The 16 year old yeah. kids. Well, I mean, the 16 year old kids now say the same thing about Mumford and Sons. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it's interesting, isn't it? I think there's a disparity between living in a kind of bubble of. of uh, mm. You know, the music industry to a certain degree, everyone you know is a music journalist or whatever. And, you know, you think, oh, <laughs> Mumford and Sons. <laughs> and yeah. they're one of the biggest bands in the world. Um, is this coming out as a single? Um, I think it's coming out on the soundtrack album, which also fe- features Taylor Swift and other people <laughs> like that that haven't announced it yet. Okay. Um, but I think it's mainly going to be used in sort of sequences where someone's walking up a hill and they're seeing a horizon or right. someone's picking someone up that's almost dead. Or yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, I can see, I can see how that would work. Yeah. It's, um, okay, uh, so um, it's around and about, presumably, on the internet and people can uh, yeah. hear it if they want. Coldplay, at last, um, it's probably an outtake. Are you thinking about it? Totally. It's probably an outtake from somewhere, isn't it? I think it's old. I think it's older, yeah. 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 I don't think that Coldplay are sitting there thinking, what have we done? <laughs> <laughs> we, we messed up. We back to basics with Coldplay. You know, it's, we're going to sort of strip it down. Um, so I think, I reckon that's an old track they've stuck out on a soundtrack. Um, let us move on. Actually, I'll tell you a fact about Coldplay. Coldplay did a cover of Get Lucky. Did they? Who didn't? Who, who didn't, indeed. Coldplay mm-hmm. did a cover of Get Lucky live. Uh, they did a, a secret gig last summer. Well, not a secret, but they did a gig last summer. Small private gig last summer, and apparently they played a version of Get Lucky at it. So there you go. Oh, yeah. Quite like to hear Coldplay do Get Lucky. Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> this is Kieran's Choice. That's Kingdom, featuring Kalela, uh, Bankhead, the name of the track, uh, Kieran, your choice. Tell us about Kingdom, and indeed Kalela. Well, this is my favourite track of the year so far. I, I really love it, and I've been listening to it lots. And it's actually been out for a while, it kind of came out at the beginning of the summer, but last week it was uh, released with the, the video, uh, which is why it's kind of captured attention on lots of blogs and kind of various sites. Um, so yes, this is Kalela, and she's signed to... Kingdom's label, who is an LA-based kind of DJ producer okay. called Ezra Rubin, uh, and he owns the label called Fade to Mind, which is the sister label to Night Slugs, and it's an LA-based. Ah, label. okay, so it's an LA. It's the kind of American cousin of Night Slugs. Absolutely right. Yes. Okay, how interesting. Um, and she has kind of been making way. She's been releasing kind of little dribs and drabs. She did the EFX Teen Girl Fantasy uh, remix. Single. She's American. Yes, she's from LA. Um, uh, kind of a few months ago and that was really exciting and there's been uh, she's kind of supported Solange on her tour and she did a really incredible boiler room um, with Night Slugs which was also kind of mixed with a grime set and her her vocal sounded really amazing on that as well Um, so she is releasing something on on October the 1st called Cut For Me uh, which is like Cut For Me Cut For Me okay uh, number four, cut four with okay, me, me. Uh, which is really exciting, and I just yeah, I just love I love her voice on this. Um, it's completely mesmerising and and haunting and smooth, and it, it sounds really great on kind of these you know really slowed down grime beats and really kind of fragmented kind of dark night slugs hyper dubby s beats as well. Um, there's kind of lots of tension, and the song's just about this kind of yearning and longing and like sexual tension and it really comes through there's like she has lots of control over her voice which I think is really great because you're almost willing her or I was when I was listening to it for the first time I was willing her to just kind of break free and just you know launch into a series of vocal runs and just kind of go with it but it's very restrained and Mm -hmm. you know the bass claps set the pace really nicely I really love that about her and uh, I'm excited to see her live so she can just like you know sing 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 all the runs and we can enjoy her off the beat but I think that this is pretty amazing um, I confess I thought it was from England I just assumed really? it was made in London mm-hmm. I, I really like it I like it an enormous amount um, it reminded me of um, a sort of 
sort of reminded me of a Luna George insofar as it seemed to me to be a concerted effort to make an R&B record mm. that sounded different and that was mm. influenced by, by grime. Yeah, dubstep and things like that, and that kind of vocal manipulation and da 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 da. Obviously, Luna George quite a lot more poppy than this, but um, I I just really liked it. It sounded, um, you know, as 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 uh, long-standing listeners to the pod will know, I like R and B when it sounds all weird and kind of messed yeah. up. And um, I thought it was a really really good record. I'm amazed it's American, but obviously it's linked with Night Slugs. You know what I mean? It's yeah yeah out, of course. So. But even um, kind of the the last Cassie mixtape was quite weird, and then Solange stuff is quite weird. So I think there is a movement to kind of this weird haunting R and B. Okay, well I'm, I'm well. very I'm very pleased to hear it. Um, Harriet. Yeah, I loved it. I, I think her voice is beautiful as well. Like she kind of subtly shows that she can do the whole Mariah kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, falsetto stuff but not she doesn't overdo it at all and even like a little it was kind of Mariah or Mucha at times mm-hmm. like that kind of husky uh, aspect of her voice but I really liked it it makes me feel really like nervous mm, like I'm yes, on my way to see like a boy I really fancy or something yeah. and like everything in me sort of really like I don't know a bit anxious and like that yearning and, and it's a bit melancholic as well which I really like cool no mm. I, 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 I agree a lesson for all singers there if you can do that Mariah thing don't do it. <laughs> Hold back. Give us all a break. Don't That's do the fake like. laughs. Alexis Don't. hates a fake laugh on a record. Oh, man, I can't bear it. <laughs> I thought you were talking about me laughing. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Don't okay. do that. Yeah, stop Sorry. laughing, Harry. <laughs> Broad- broadcast tip. Broad tip. Um, no, 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 no. It's just that kind of, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I don't really like the Mariah Carey style of vocalising. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad that it's sort of... It's yeah. fine to show people you can do it. Yeah, of course, but it has to be a bit of restraint. But it's just, uh, that kind of... Um, what, what's the word uh, for it? Um, other than unbearable. Um, <coughs> melisma. Melismatic singing, I believe it's oh, called. Um, that's just X Factor, isn't it? It's to yeah, everyone it, to do that means you're... But even when she did, even when Mariah Carey used to, used to get me tits. Oh, you know? really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Didn't like it. Um, but yeah, I like that. Uh, Kingdom Bankhead featuring Kalela. Um around and about, of course, on the internet as as everything is. I look forward to hearing her album. Yes, Could October the first release. Three thumbs up for that. Finally, my choice. This just Uh, that's Julia Holter. Uh, this is a true heart. It's the second single taken from her third album. She's an LA singer-songwriter, for those who don't know. Signed to Domino in this country, and uh, she's got a lot of critical acclaim for her second album, Ecstasis. Um, this is definitely the most pop moment from that album, but it came out in the summer, um, so we didn't really have a chance to discuss it. And I think it's an absolutely brilliant record. Um, I find it um, sort of really mesmerising, intriguing, original kind of thing. It's based on Gigi, the uh, the musical Gigi. Um, but I mean, it isn't songs from the musical Gigi. It's the story it's based on. Um, I think she's got a really intriguing voice. I think she's got a really intriguing artistic vision. There's a track on the album called Maxim's One, um, which is uh, very different sounding to that, but is it just I find it really uh, sort of enrapturing kind of music to listen to. Um, and it's not trying too hard to be kooky. It's not doing that kind of like, mm. oh, you know, it's sort of a sub Kate Bush kind mm. of poppy eyes, you know, female vocalist thing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's very good. <laughs> Julia Holter, this is a true heart. Um, yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? I, yeah. Like it's, for me, it was a, a grower, not a shower. And it took me, <laughs> <laughs> took me a couple of listens. Cause when I first heard it, I was like, this is, it's just very strange. And you can hear, you know, it's really obvious kind of sax inflections in there. And you can hear all the instruments. There's a lot of 80s kind of weird. There's a, yeah. whoa, there's a fretless bass but almost, on that. Yeah, exactly. But almost to, to an overpowering extent because her voice is so delicate. Mm. And I didn't know if I liked that um, on the first few listens because I really wanted to pay attention to her. But then after I listened to it, I was like, actually, this is really great. And it's it really works strangely together. Um, and it has a bit of that jazz club quality but actually she's quite commanding despite sounding not not like thin vocals but definitely delicate yeah. you know? the thing I like about her vocals on this track 
particularly is they're kind of so serene that it's almost a bit disturbing. Like she's a bit <laughs> deranged and she's walking around a, like a supermarket in a nighty or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's but the video really... reflects that as well because it's a kind of a bit of a like mystery um, uh, video and she's kind of dressed up and she's being quite strange I won't give it away but you should all don't, watch don't. it yeah no spoilers yeah so you should you should watch it I don't want the Guardian commenters going it's in quite funny yeah no it's funny well, and it? it's very good and yeah she definitely has that kind of like weird almost spooky quality to her it sort of character. annoys me a bit this album slipped out they released it when it did because I think if they'd released it three months later as opposed to releasing it in the middle of August when you know Right. People are away on holiday, and there yeah. isn't really anything going on on the music pages. It would have got more um, more coverage than it did. And it's I loved it. Good. Did you? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. That's good. People should go and buy that record. What's it called again? Loud City Song. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a, it's a great record, and people should. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, you should definitely go and check it out. I think um, this is the second single from it. It's not actually out in November, but um, as if such things matter, because the video is up on YouTube, which is basically like having a single released these days, is it not? Mm-hmm. Right. That's Singles Club. Best friend of the pod, Pete Perfides, is back, quite literally back, to September the 26th, 1970, to leaf through a copy of Disc and Music Echo in the next instalment of his parallel history of pop. What's some whiskey in your water, sugar in your tea? What's all this crazy question you're asking me? This is the craziest party that could ever be. There's a huge colour picture of Three Dog Night, famous for their for their hit Mama Told Me Not To Come, on the cover. Um, in the small black box underneath, it says Hendrix, an appreciation of the gentleman, see page three. Jimi Hendrix has just died, just over a week before the uh, date on the cover of this uh, magazine. His death wouldn't have made the uh, news deadline of the previous copy of Disc and Music Echo, and yet the coverage of his death is very modest. It pretty much amounts to just... One story written by Michael Ledgerwood, reinforcing the fact that he was, uh, contrary to the Jimi Hendrix you saw on stage, he was very polite, and uh, his first gig, writes Michael Ledgerwood, was at the Bag of Nails on London's Kingley Street, where, imagine this being your first gig in London. Uh, The audience included uh, Paul and Ringo, uh, Eric Clapton, Georgie Fame, Eric Burden, Pete Townsend and Donovan. Uh, No pressure there, then. course that gig has sort of passed into music history this is is a quote from uh, mike nesmith jimi hendrix invented psychedelic music single-handed it's impossible to describe what the man meant to music i first heard him on record when i was with john lennon at the speakeasy that might be the most 60s sentence i've ever read in my life Appearing on Top of the Pops this week, introduced by Jimmy Savile, are the Deltones, Diana Ross, Family, Oliver, Black Sabbath, Engelbert Humperdinck, Aretha Franklin, Blue Mink, Cliff Richard and Frida Payne. That's a pretty fantastic cross-section of what's going on in pop. Not the Jimmy Savile bit, obviously, that's not fantastic anything really. What else have we got? This is this story rather tickled me. Pirate Andy returns. Andy Archer, who announced to Radio North Sea listeners that he was leaving the station, has had a change of heart. He returned last Friday and station director Larry Tremaine told Disc Andy decided to leave of his own accord because he thought he was going to be sacked. Uh, when he told he wasn't, he had a quick change of heart and is now back with us. That's quite embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> of some of the special programmes you can hear on Sunday on R&I in the English service. From 6 to 9 is the special super hit 50 show with Tony Allen with some of the best records from the last six months. Uh, nine to ten is the con- on page 6, just above an advert for the new Four Tops album, Still Waters Run Deep, quite a good album as I recall, is there's an interview with uh, Mr Desmond Decker, MM, which apparently is the Jamaican MBE. He's won it for the services for services in the field of reggae, the music which, quote-unquote, will never die. He recalls a gig he played at the Lyceum in London when he was almost choked by over-enthusiastic fans. They managed to get onto the stage, and in the melee, someone bra- grabbed the scarf he was wearing around his neck, and, and it was pulled, and then uh, Desmond was out cold for five minutes. It's quite alarming. It was a very 60s accident, being choked by your own uh, fancy necktie. Chosen, I don't want to end up like funny 
choking aside, thank you. He says it's not the radio which sells my records, it's the ballrooms. And he's, uh, it took 13 weeks for Israelites to get into the charts. John Peel has a column, a weekly column in Disc and Music Echo, uh, called Peel's Thoughts. Rather stream of consciousness affair. Uh, this is a fairly good example, talking about... Bands uh, the sort of more more typical but not so represented experience of your average sort of touring recording band and bands that seem to be programmed to self destruct in remote corners of the country with equipment that works occasionally and for which the schedule of high purchase payments stretches further than the mind numbed with sleeplessness and clouded by a wretched diet is prepared to imagine. At 30 miles an hour, they struggle towards London. The equipment's not ready. The gig's off. We try to reach you. You're 15 minutes late. We'll pay you half the money. Don't bother to do a second set. Don't you do any Jethro Toll numbers? You're in a pop group, aren't you? You must be getting lots of money. Made a record, did you? Haven't seen you on top of the pops, have I? Impossible to know whether or not this band will survive, although I hope they will. They and others like them live and work in Dickensian conditions that they would never tolerate if there wasn't the faint hope that one day they'll make it on a Led Zeppelin scale. New albums, reviews of new albums. There's a, a, a Funkadelic have a record out it's the term says um, discs uncredited reviewer uh, this is the term that's been thought up to describe a new sound that's a blend of funk and psychedelia i think we could have worked that out for ourselves if you will suck my soul i will lick your funky emotions Funkadelic is also a group who seem to be cashing in on the sound with an album of the same name Apparently it's good, solid dance music which will keep you out of your seat whenever it's on. I think few would uh, would disagree with that. Live reviews on page 13. Uh, Eric Burden unveils his new supergroup, War. Uh, this is, uh, I think, I think uh, Michael Edgerwood is probably very proud of this piece of writing. You can kind of almost see him smiling as he writes, The Who's title as the greatest live band in the land is in danger of being snatched away. Who by... That self-described, long-haired, overfed gnome Eric Burden, former Animal Star, today fronting his new group, War. At London's Ronnie Scott's Club last week, War was well and truly declared. Let me see what he did there. On the small ads, you can buy uh, a pair of men's real python snakeskin boots for uh, 12, 12 guineas. I don't know what a guinea is. Um, they look really horrible, actually. Um, there's one of the first interviews with a new band called Supertramp with uh, Richard Davis of Supertramp, who, uh, who happily sort of admits that they're a manufactured group. Like, so Richard Palmer of the group says, we've all had group backgrounds, but basically Supertramp is a manufactured group in that until we formed the band, we had never met each other in our lives. I didn't actually know that about Supertramp. The writer goes on to say that they're surprisingly owned by a Swiss-based Dutch businessman who was very enamoured with the showbiz scene and wanted to foster a group, not for the money he would make, but simply for his own interest. And finally, we come to Balls, the uh, the infamous Midlands supergroup who went to Cornwall for 10 months in order to live in a very posh sort of country manner and attempted to make an album which never saw the light of the day. Even at this stage, you can tell that things are going wrong with this interview with uh, drummer Alan White who says, rather defensively, I refuse to get nervous about it. People are just going to have to accept us for what we are. It's just a band, and if you don't like it, tough luck. <laughs> There's plenty of things to do. And if they can get into whatever we're doing on the stage, it'll be really good. We've also got the chance of buying an inflatable dome that holds a 1,000 people and has psychedelic lighting. I don't know if it'll come off or not, but we're thinking of doing it like a travelling circus and having midgets on the door taking the money. You could say that in 1970. So there you go. Balls. (laughs) 
Uh, briefly on to small ads. Glasgow area. Keen amateur photographer requires female model. No experience necessary. I think we know how that's going to end. In the post bag this week, this is a rather uh, is a pertinent letter. Machines set to take over the charts. Uh, this is from Ian Larkin of Southwick Road in uh, Wiltshire. Music seems to be manufactured more than performed nowadays. This is due to the advent of such machines as the Moog, or Moog, I guess, to give it its proper pronunciation, and the Mellotron. It would be best to abandon these machines completely before the human element, which is surely the most important, is completely lost for music. Instead of groups and singers, we would soon have machines and computers at the top of the charts. Get rid of them now while there's still time. The idea, the idea, people now these days use Moogs and Mellotrons in order to sort of generate kind of an analogue warmth. So the idea that they should have been seen as the opposite at this point in time is slightly mind-boggling. Let's quickly gloss over the gossip column with such nuggets as Mike Nesmith plays chess in his spare time and hasten straight to this week's charts. High climbers in the top 30 this week include Diana Ross up 6 to 90 with Ain't ain't No Mountain High Enough. Uh, Deep Purple up 12 with uh, Black Knight to number 16 and Desmond Decker with uh, You Can Get It If You Really Want. At number 2 down one, Tears of a Clown by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, of course. And up from number four to number one, it's Free to Pain with Band of Gold. And just very finally, we've got the uh, regular hit talk column, which involves uh, a famous musician talking about what he thinks of the records in this week's chart. We've got Roger Chapman from Family, who dislikes almost everything, actually. Chairman of the Board, good record, but I heard it so much when we were in the States, I've gone off it. Desmond Decker doesn't appeal to me at all. That's a no-no for me, a pretty poor reggae record. He doesn't like the Poppy family either. Too slushy, a Mantovanian vocals job, not for me. And finally, the Carpenters. He doesn't like that at all. This is close to you by the Carpenters. It's not one of Burt Bacharach's best songs. It sounds too much like a blatant copy of some of his best songs. And that concludes this week's Disc and Music Echo. This week being, of course, September the 26th, 1970. I've been Pete Perfides. I hope you can join me next time. Thank you. Pete Perfides there. That's it for this week. Thanks to Harriet for coming in. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. We'll be back next week. We will. We will. Visit guardian.co.uk forward slash music weekly for uh, more info on the show and, of course, links to the Singles Club tracks. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.